When I say the name David, probably the first thing that comes to the average person's mind is David and Goliath. That's the thing for which he's best known. After that, probably the thing that comes to most people's mind is King David. David was the king of Israel. He was the second king of Israel. He was the greatest king of Israel, so much so that the symbol of Israel is still the star of David. But in between David killing Goliath, which probably happened when he was 16, 17, 18 years old, and when he became king, which happened when he was 30 years old, was a period of at least 10 years where David was running from the king and the king's army. Now, how did that happen? How is it that David killed Israel's greatest enemy and gave Israel a great victory against the Philistines, cut off the head of the giant, brought the head of the giant home, laid it at the king's feet, was a national hero... And before he knows it, he's an outlaw. And he's done nothing wrong. How do you go from being a national hero to being an outlaw when you've done nothing to make that happen? Well, the answer is is that King Saul, I just did something that annoys me when other people do it, and I just did it, so I have to fess up. The answer is, is that... Redundant is is really bothered me, and I just I just did it myself, and I'm very sorry, and I'm not worthy to preach this morning. But let me go on anyway. The answer is that David received so much praise that Saul got jealous and made David his target. Now Saul was not used to not being the focal point. He was the king. He had been a military hero, and you can see hints of this, by the way, when Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14 stepped up and he won a great battle, and Saul was willing to have his own son killed for a minor infraction. And so you see a little bit of a foreshadowing of Saul's extreme pride because he didn't want any of that spotlight taken off of him. So the spotlight goes to David. And the number one song on the Israel's top 40 becomes Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his tens of thousands. And it makes Saul angry and he gets jealous. So Saul calls up his army and for about 10 years, David is a fugitive. He's on the run. And it's not good enough for Saul that David just gets out of town and he disappears. No. Saul wants to go into the wilderness and find him and kill him. He wants David dead. What's his motivation? Saul's motivation is that the preacher, Samuel had told Saul after one of his many acts of pride and stubbornness and rebellion, the preacher had come to Saul and said, your legacy is dead. God has rejected you from being king. You'll serve out your term, but when you're dead, your family's done in the throne of Israel. 
And God has already called another to be the next king of Israel. So from that moment on, Saul had his eyes peeled because he thought he was going to overrule God. Did you hear me? Saul thought he was going to overrule God. Don't ever think you're going to overrule God. Saul had his eyes peeled because he thought, well, if I could find this guy and kill him, then the threat is gone and my son can be the king. So that's his whole scheme, and the Bible confirms that. That's not just my imagination. Uh, Saul realized that David was going to be the next king, that his son Jonathan was not going to be the king, and Saul was not okay with that. Funny thing is, Jonathan was okay with that. Jonathan knew that was true, and he was okay with it. But Saul was not okay with it. And so he thought, if I can just find this guy, whoever he is, and kill him, then Jonathan will be the king. So he watches David arise, and he realizes this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the guy. And even Jonathan confirms it when he says, Dad, leave David alone. You know he's a good man, and you know he's going to be the next king of Israel. Oh! Confirmation. Now I really have to kill him. So David spends about 10 years of his life running, hiding. And he's very good at it. And most importantly, he's got God in his corner. So he's going to be okay. Nevertheless, I mean, can you imagine even being on the run for one year? But 10 years. It got so bad that David had to go back to his hometown, the small town of Bethlehem where his, his parents and his brothers lived. And he said, guys, they're going to come here. You got to get out. They're going to come to the farm. They're going to burn the place down. They're going to kill you. They're going to hold you hostage in order to draw me out of the wilderness. The safest thing. And so David's own parents had to move out of the homestead and go out and live on the run. As he did this, the Bible says he actually attracted some outlaws, other people who actually were criminals that were on the run, took refuge with David. David was no criminal. But some people that ran with him were, people that were in debt and had to work it off. And the way that they did that, if you owed a debt, you, were, you became the servant of the person to whom you owed the debt until your debt was paid. So there were people in debt, There were other people that were, they weren't outlaws, but they were just pretty down on life. Things had gotten hard, and uh, they just sort of, you know, gave up on on, uh, paying the mortgage, and and, uh, they took refuge with David. So David had quite a band of of, uh, hillbillies with him, and his own family. And it grew to be several hundred people. Well, this is quite a burden. It's not just one man. It's one thing to be, to be uh, one guy on the run. It's another thing to be a guy on the run and to have to take care of a bunch of people, including your own family. He's on the run. He's going from place to place. He's carrying the burden of having to feed people. And you can imagine at all this time, he's fighting the question of why is the king? The king was his hero. Why is the king trying to kill me? He didn't get it. Why is the king trying to kill me? And David became discouraged at times. The text we just read a minute ago, I want you, I've set the stage for this, and I want you to picture this one event. Jonathan and David are very, very close friends. They love each other. 
They have a brotherly love that is just the kind of friend that everybody wants to have. And yet Jonathan is Saul's son. So Jonathan has to be careful. Jonathan still wants to show his loyalty to his dad. He still wants to honor his father. But he also wants to show friendship to his friend. And he has great love and respect and admiration for his friend David. So they're camping in the wilderness one night. And the Bible says that Jonathan leaves the camp. And he goes and he finds David. Now isn't it interesting? Saul and his army can't find David. They just can't track him. For years, they try and they fail. They can't track him. But Jonathan knows right where he, where he was, which tells me that at least one of three things is true, okay? One thing that could be true, it could be that Jonathan is the tracker for Saul's army, the scout. And it may be on that basis that Jonathan said, David, don't worry. They're not going to find you. That could be. It could also be that Jonathan knows his friends so well that he knows exactly where David will be. In other words, if we move to the wilderness of Danbury, I know exactly where David goes to hang out when he's in the Danbury area. That's how well I know him. We've been to that place together, so I know exactly where David will be. If we're over here... In the wilderness of Brewster, I know exactly where my friend David will be because we've been there together before, and uh, we've camped there. We've, we've hung out. We've hunted there. I know exactly where David would be when we're in the wilderness of Brewster. It, that could be. Or it could be, thirdly, that how, how did Jonathan know where David would be when Saul's army couldn't find him? It could be that... Jonathan knows the mind of David so well that he knows the kind of place. In other words, he knows the the strategy that David takes. So as he's looking over the landscape in the daytime, he's looking over, he's in a high place, he's looking out, and he's going, let's see, I know David. And, oh, that little canyon down there. That's, I see that it follows a path. That's exactly where David would go. He's not going to tell his dad. He's not going to tell any fellow soldiers, but he knows. That's it. That's, that's where he, I, I'm, I'm sure I know David. Or maybe he looks and he's looking for the high, uh, the high spots, and he's looking for a cave because he knows that if, if there's a high spot, David's going to find the cave, and that's where he's going to camp with his men. It could be that, but whatever it is, it's one of those three or something like that. For whatever reason, Saul can't find David, but Jonathan does. It's like those things, you know, when there's an outlaw like Osama bin Laden, and everybody's going, where's Osama bin Laden? And there's some reporter going, yes, well, I had an interview with Osama bin Laden. And you're going, how'd you, how'd, how'd you do that, <laughs> you know? Uh, Saul couldn't find him. But somehow, Jonathan does. And imagine David in the wee hours of the morning. Everybody else is sleeping, but David's awake because he's got mouths to feed. And he's got to protect these people. 
And probably David's own life was his least concern. He's got to take care of these people who have come to him for refuge. And there's David at the campfire in the middle of the night. And he's got a stick. And he's pushing the coals around. And he hears a rustling. And he goes for a sword. And from the bushes, he hears the voice that he loves and trusts more than any other human voice. David, it's me, Jonathan. And David doesn't have to ask for ID. He knows that voice. That's his best friend. He puts his sword away, and he stands up to greet his friend, Jonathan. Jonathan comes out, and they sit down. Here's what the Bible says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Now, when you read that verse in the bulletin out of its context, you might have thought that it was saying that Jonathan strengthened his own hand in God. But when you read the verse, it's very clear that it's saying that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. I have no doubt that Many, maybe even most, maybe all of the people in this room this morning need strength from God. And you know it. And you say, well, pastor, you're talking about, I can tell right now, you're going to talk about helping somebody else find strength. Yes, we are. But let me tell you something. When you do what Jonathan did, when you make the effort to help somebody else find strength in God, you always get strength yourself. So in case you're sitting before we even get into the truth here and say, uh, you know what I can tell right now, this going in one of them unselfish directions. i got to tell you, Pastor, I'm feeling a little bit selfish this morning. I need some strength for myself. You're going to get strength if you get what we're going to talk about for a couple minutes. What does that mean that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God? Let me see if I can paraphrase in a few ways. It means that Jonathan brought David strength from the Lord. Jonathan had been with God. Jonathan had been in a place. Jonathan wasn't under attack. There was nobody chasing him. There was nobody threatening his life. And so Jonathan was able to have time with God in peace. You realize that David's situation was not quite so strong. He, David was in turmoil. David, he, I mean, he was fighting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just to take care of his people and to, to protect them. And Jonathan realized that he could have an opportunity to bring strength from the Lord to David. So he does. So he sets out you ever do this? I've done this. I'll probably do it this week. When I'm away from my wife and I'm lonely. And I'm, I ain't worth nothing when, when I'm away. In fact, I probably won't even be here Wednesday night. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, I, I am worthless without my wife. And uh, boy, on a, on, a, on a clear night, and I'll look up in the sky and I'll go, that's the same moon that she's seeing out there in Indiana. So, and that especially worked before you had cell phones. You know, now you don't have to do that. You just go, 
man, I miss my wife. I miss you. You know, emoji. I miss you. She does that. I don't, I don't do emojis. I just do that. But boy, in the days before, I remember uh, we had been dating for uh, not quite a year. And uh, she went on tour with the, with, with the Hiles Anderson College tour group. And they were all over the uh, south and uh, southeast. And it was eight weeks. And I was, I was at school working my job and, and uh, working my bus route and so forth. And I mean, man, all we had... Are you ready for this, teenagers? All we had were pay phones. <gasps> pay phones. And we, had, we, had, we also had letters, <laughs> postage stamps. It was a horrible, cruel world back in the days of the Flintstones. And, and she was in a different church every day. She was in a different town every day. And we were fortunate on a good week if we got to talk for 15 minutes one time on that. I'd go to the payphone at the end of the hallway on my dorm floor, and hopefully I could find what church she was in, and hopefully I could, they had a phone there in that church in, you know, uh, Tennessee or whatever. No, just kidding. But, uh, but just because I knew what church she was in doesn't mean I would know what, where she was staying while she was there. They usually didn't stay in motels. So we were lucky if we got to talk one night, one time for 15 minutes, once a week. And so there was a lot of that. Man, I wonder where she is. So, you know, that's one thing. I, I thank God for modern conveniences, but you learn a lot from silence, don't you? You learn a lot from sitting and wondering, man, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how they're doing. And that's what Jonathan's doing as he looks in there and he realizes, I'm with the army whose purpose it is to kill my best friend. And so the rest of the army goes to sleep that night. And Jonathan's thinking, I got to get to David. I got a wonderful truth from God this morning, and I got to take it in there. I got to find David. And I got to tell him. And he searches and he finds and he tells him. That means when it says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God, he brought David's strength from the Lord. It also means that Jonathan showed David the love of God. Just his very appearance showed David the love of God. It means that Jonathan reminded David of the strength that was available to him in the Lord. It means that, David, that Jonathan reminded David that the Lord was in his corner. There, hey, there's no lecture in this visit. You read what Jonathan said. There's no, hey, you listen to me, David. You, hey, you listen to me. You make sure that you, there's no lecture. People don't need as much lectures as we give them. They need love and encouragement and praise. You you, you know what you'll find? If you'll love, encourage, and praise and strengthen people, if their heart is right, they'll ask you for advice and instruction. If their heart's not right, they're not going to listen to your your lecture if you give it to them. So don't waste your breath. Give them love and praise and prayer and instruction. Uh, not, love and praise and prayer and encouragement. And when they're ready for your instruction, they'll ask you for it. It means that Jonathan reminds David that the Lord is in his corner. It means that Jonathan uses influence 
to influence David for the Lord. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. It means that Jonathan strengthened David's faith. Faith is our ability to believe God. And our faith can get weak and our faith can get stronger. And we ought to strive to strengthen the faith, excuse me, of the people that we love. And that's what Jonathan did. He sought David out. He scouted him a little bit. He looked. He found. He came to where David was camping. He said, hey, David, I just came from, just came from my dad's camp. I want to tell you, it's going to be all right. Trust God. Trust God. He loves you. He's got you. It means, and let me summarize all these with this statement, that Jonathan reminded David that the Lord is his strength. Let me give you three observations quickly. We'll be all finished. In order to do what Jonathan did for David... First of all, you have to understand that Jonathan himself had strength in the Lord. You can't give somebody else strength from the Lord unless you yourself have strength from the Lord. You can't encourage somebody with your complaining spirit. You can't lift somebody else up when you yourself are possessed of a critical spirit, a negative spirit. You're not going to be a gossip and then successfully strengthen someone else's hand in the Lord. And your gossip dead sure is not going to strengthen anybody's hand in the Lord. But you're not going to be a gossip and then all of a sudden on a good day when you're, when you're, when you're feeling wonderful, say, I, I know what I usually am, but today let me strengthen your hand. And you're not going to do that. In order for Jonathan to go and bring strength to David, Jonathan had to have strength from God himself. I want you to know this, this story, because, uh, well, turn to Galatians 6. While you're turning, I want to remind you that there is a place real close to this text that we're looking at here where it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Galatians 6 is where you're turning to. David encouraged himself in the Lord. So we've got one incident where David is encouraging himself in the Lord. We have another where Jonathan strengthens David, David's hand in the Lord. And that reminds me right away of Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse number 2 where it says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I'm supposed to help you bear your burden. You're supposed to help other people bear their burdens. But look at verse number 5 in Galatians chapter 6. For every man shall bear his own burden. But wait a minute. There's a contradiction. Let me tell you, if God was going to be so foolish as to put a contradiction in the Bible, he wouldn't put them so close together like that, okay? So let me tell you what it means. It means that you are supposed to help Tyler bear his burdens. But you're, well, that's bear ye one another's burdens. But you're not supposed to expect the same from him because you're supposed to bear your own burdens. Live your life determined to bear your own burdens. Go beyond that, help somebody else bear their burdens, 
But don't get your feelings hurt when, how come nobody ever does for me what I do for other people? Because you're supposed to be bearing your own burdens. And we all have a responsibility to be our own burden bearer. And so don't go around watching for, okay, I know paybacks is coming. I know paybacks is coming because I know. No, don't live that way. Yeah, but the Bible says cast your bread upon the... Yeah, it says that's going to happen, but it doesn't mean that you're sitting there waiting. You know, I, 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 nobody does this. I just, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, it, I, I made them a plate of cookies when, when, you know, and so I should be getting one from them soon. Should it work that way? Oh, you probably should. Should you be keeping score? No, you shouldn't. Uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord, but one day Jonathan showed up to strengthen his hand in the Lord. So, if you're sitting here going, yeah, how come, how come nobody ever strengthens my hand in God? You're totally missing the point. Because you're supposed to be worrying about strengthening yourself. And then you're supposed to do what you can to strengthen the hand of somebody else that the Lord puts on your heart. You know, one thing I, I ask God to teach me, and I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I am, it's, it's a hard lesson for me to learn. I live with the assumption that nobody wants to hear from me. And I think probably most of us do. Because I've talked to a lot of people who said, this, yeah, I, it would, if, if I called them, it would just be a bother. I don't want to bother people. Nobody, nobody wants to see me. Nobody wants to hear from me. And that's not humility. There's an element of pride in there because I'm actually thinking about myself there. What I need to do, now, here's what I'll do. If someone, if I get a, a text from, I got this morning a text from Pastor Bish saying, uh, Brother Joe, praying for you, have a good service today. I got a text this morning from Pastor Barnes, John Barnes. Brother Joe, praying for you this morning, have a good, have a good service today. So I've responded to them. But if, I hear, if somebody else comes to me, if somebody else, or Jonathan comes to me and says, hey, I just want to strengthen your hand in the Lord, I respond, but I don't, they, they don't want to hear from me. But, they, but you know what I need to remember is how good it felt to hear from Pastor Bish. So I responded to him. It's too late for me to initiate anything with Pastor Bish because he just, he stepped up and he let me know. So I right away thought, well, who could I, who could I? So I sent a text real quick to Pastor Barnett. Thanks for being with us last Sunday. Hope you have a great Sunday in your own church today. I got the one from Brother Barnes. Okay, who, who can I initiate a, uh, some strength? Uh, uh, Brother Jenkins. Brother Jenkins, have a great Sunday in your old, own pulpit today. And bless, God bless Grace Baptist Church. Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams, don't know where you are today, but I hope you have a great service today. God bless you. I'm praying for you. Love you. Um, and I haven't heard back from any of them. <laughs> I see, that's not the way it's supposed to go. The way it's supposed to go is, let me see who I can be a blessing to. Let me see who I can encourage. Let me see who I can help. Jonathan strengthened David's hand of the Lord, which means Jonathan himself had strength from God. Also, I want you to notice this, that Jonathan went to where David was. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. An amazing little statement that as you're reading your Bible, it's real easy to pass right over 
But it's, it, what a profound statement is found here. David's writing to Timothy. Look at what he says. Verse number 16. 2 Timothy 1.16. Did I say David? I meant Paul. Paul writes to Timothy. And Paul says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. There it is. Took, took a couple times, but I got Onesiphorus. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Now, you know what that says, among other things. Onesiphorus and his family, they were helping Paul while he was in jail. Clearly, that's what it says. But when Paul says, he was not ashamed of my chain, it meant, it didn't just mean when I was there, they helped me. It meant he had to come looking for me. This is another step, and it's a step where I, I pray God will take me. It's one thing that when you come to me, I treat you right and be hospitable. That's, that's great. It's another thing when I hear that you're in chains and I go, let me come to where you are. Let me come to where you are. I'll tell you, one of the greatest honors of my life is to have friends that I have that, just like you guys have been together since third grade, I've got friends not since third grade but since college, and I'm, I'm 48 now, so that's a long time ago. But when we got the call that uh, my friend Jesse Dominguez, that his daughter passed away uh, without notice, we were already going for graduation. So we tacked, I think, two days onto our trip and left early, two days early. But there were friends of Jesse's that weren't coming to graduation who dropped what they were doing to come from Arkansas. One came from California. Various places where they dropped what they were doing. A couple of them never had met Megan. But I remember sitting there in the wake and watching one of my friends that I didn't know was coming. He's in line, at walking up to the casket. And Jesse turned and saw him. And Jesse, who, as you can imagine, was just in a basically a numbed state just to see his friend who had driven all that way, he began to weep. He broke down. Why? Because his friend had heard, and he came to where he was. He didn't bring any money. He didn't bring any gifts. He didn't do anything except come and say, David, it's going to be all right. God's got you. Who can you do that for? In big ways, in little ways. The opportunities are there if you keep your eyes open. How can I be a blessing? My friend David, how can I help him? How can I get to him? Jonathan himself had strength in the Lord. Jonathan went to where David was. 
And let me, let me remind you here, Jonathan made it about God. It doesn't just say Jonathan strengthened David's hand. That would have been wonderful. But he strengthened his hand in God. It's one thing to be a friend. It's another thing to be a spiritual Christ-like friend. What's the difference? Okay, if you're not careful, you'll step up and you go, Okay, be encouraged. I'm here. I am the great encourager, and I'm here. And aren't you impressed that I came? Oh, don't, don't, don't make it about you. In fact, you know what? There may be times, Jonathan, where you go and seek David out, and he barely even has time to acknowledge you. But he can see you from a distance and realize, wow, you cared. You love me. And it may be that you've got to turn right around and leave, Jonathan. But David knows that you came and brought encouragement. But he made it about God. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Let me say this when we're all done. If there's one person you say, who do you think? Tell me somebody you know that is the best illustration who lives this more than anybody else without hesitation, it's Ray Young. The stories are endless of people who said, you know, my loved one passed away, and nobody, we didn't even know anybody really knew about it. And there was a dozen people there in the wake in some remote place, you know, out west or down south someplace, and I turned around and Brother Ray walked in. You know, Brother Ray, he doesn't come in with a band and a parade. He just comes in as Brother Ray and praying for you. I want you to know that we we love you. I'll never forget being in the hospital and just just after my uh, they removed my my toes. I think it was Wednesday that week, maybe Tuesday. Well, he, he did Wednesday night, so it was at least Wednesday. It may have been Tuesday, but I'm laying there. And uh, a local pastor had come, was praying with me. And while we're praying, I had my eyes closed, and I heard somebody walk into the room, and this guy said amen and goodbye. And I looked up, and, and there's Brother Ray. No idea where he'd been preaching. No idea what he had had to get excused from. But he's standing there in the room. He did Wednesday night church. He stayed Thursday. I think he he stayed just about the whole week. What did he do? He sat there in my room. Sometimes we talked. Sometimes we didn't. But he sat there. I mean, he flew into New York, got his own car, drove up, got got a room, and just stayed here. Later in the week, my friend Danny Mendez did the same thing. They sort of tag team. Brother Ray left, and Danny stayed over the weekend, preached that Sunday here. I remember hearing this story back in the late 1900s. Yeah, 1900s, yeah. I made that sound like a long time ago, didn't I? Uh, 90s is what I was going for. Back in the late 90s, a church out west was really, really under fire uh, for 
uh, something that had happened in their bus ministry, and it was just it was it was basically a matter of a kid. There, there was a long time where you could have people get baptized without permission slips, and um, this lawsuit changed that. Uh, a family, their their kid going to church and rode the bus to church. And it's amazing how they didn't care enough to bring their children to church and to attend themselves. But when the kid went to church and got went to get baptized, and they should have gotten permission, but they didn't. He went to the baptistry. He got baptized. And so they were, the, the parents said, we're going to shut this church down. And they brought this massive lawsuit over their child didn't get permission to get baptized. And uh, I heard the pastor say, <clears throat> he said, I didn't know what was going to happen. He said, we'd never faced a lawsuit like this before. And he said, uh, went to the courtroom, and of course, you know, you got your attorney. It feels real lonely. Nobody there is, is pulling for you to win. And he said, I just, just before the judge walked in, he said, I turned around, and he said, Ray Young walked in, just sat down, just sat there through the trial. And they won, they won the case, by the way, but just sat there through the trial. Why? To strengthen his hand in the Lord. Now, most of us are not going to be in a position to, <clears throat> to do huge things like that. But we can do it with a, with a phone call. With a note. Let me say one more time in case you're, because this is why I know, I know the, the dumb thing Satan says, you know. See, how come no one does that for you? Boy, did you ever miss the message this morning. Who can you do that for? Who can you do that for one time this week? We're all extremely busy. We're pulled in 500 different directions. All of us are. But can you remind yourself one time this week, let me watch for somebody who's, who's down. And let me get word to them. I'm praying for you. God's got you. I love you. It's going to be all right. Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to learn to live this way.